Well, how do we return to normal life after a life-altering loss? Today's question is from a broken woman named Andrea. Dear Pastor John, she writes, My husband went home to be with the Lord two months ago after a four-month battle with pancreatic cancer. We were both divorcees who met in October of 2019. God restored our lives and we married in October of 2020. I'm very thankful to have been married to my late husband. The Lord had restored our lives and relationship. There was so much joy to live with someone who loves you so much. My late husband had a son, now 20 years old. We expected to spend the rest of our lives as a family unit, but our blissful days together were short and our worlds came crashing down. We held on to the word of God, expecting a miracle healing right to the end. He was not healed and didn't recover. In fact, he suffered a lot of pain in the end. Many of our friends supported and prayed for us, but now after my husband's passing, I can't find any purpose in life. Is this normal to feel this way? Friends ask me how I am, if I'm returning to work. I can only say I'm okay, but deep in my heart, I am not okay. How do I continue to live my life? My heart feels very heavy. I tried to listen to sermons and read the Bible, but nothing seems to be getting into my heart. Thank you, and God bless. Andrea asks, is it normal to feel this way? Namely, not being able to find purpose in life after her husband passed away. Yeah. There are so many factors that affect how we function after a major loss that it's hard to say what is normal because Everybody's situation is so different. Age differences, employment differences, health differences, family differences, wider relationship, church, location, gifting, maturity, faith, and on and on. So many differences. But I think I can say with some degree of certainty that the more your life is embedded in or intertwined with what or whom you've lost, whether it's a spouse or job or health or home or child, then the more normal it is to feel disoriented and aimless. So that's true. I think the answer will be closer to yes, it's normal than no, it's not normal. But Andrew's real question, it seems to me, is not so much, am I normal, but what do I do? How do I continue to live my life, she says. So here are some thoughts from Scripture. Because God is the one we have to turn to ultimately, isn't it? Number one, the, the first thing I would say is wait for the Lord. Don't assume that the way you feel today is the way it will always be. In time, the Lord will change things. He will. Which means that this is a God-appointed season of waiting. I've learned this over, over years and years from watching my own heart and counseling lots of people. I've learned that Americans or maybe you could say modern people in general, want quick solutions to our problems. We don't like 
waiting. But God is seldom in a hurry. It's amazing. God is simply seldom in a hurry. Mm. It's almost as if he prefers the slow pace of healing and strengthening. Early in my ministry, in fact, six weeks after starting my pastorate in the summer of 1980, I preached a sermon about waiting from Psalm 40. It's it's Desiring God. I checked it out yesterday. It's called In the Pits with a King. Because David, in Psalm 40, says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And that's the key sentence. Hmm. He doesn't say how long he waited, and I'm glad he didn't say it was a week or a month or a year. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Yes, eventually he did. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet on a rock and made my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Those are the first verses of Psalm 40. So David is looking back on a season of misery. He called it pit, miry bog. And in this situation, his strategy was, I waited and I cried to the Lord. And I'm glad he didn't say how long, a week, a month, a year. That's the calling on all Christians in various degrees, in various times in this life. Nobody escapes it. We all will find ourselves in seasons where we have no choice but to wait for the Lord, unless we're going to just rebel and throw in the towel, Mm. which would be very foolish. David even gives us an, an explanation of what God was doing in this appointed season of waiting. He says that God eventually comes. He puts our feet on solid ground. He puts a song in our mouth. Many see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. In other words, this is evangelism. This is God's strategy to draw people to trust in him by watching us pass through these these pits that we have to wait in. Hmm. The effect of David's waiting and eventual deliverance was, in effect, for the good of other people's faith. They trust the Lord because David's patient waiting moved them to trust the Lord. One of my favorite hymns puts it like this. He knows the time for joy and truly will send it when he sees it meet, when he has tried and purged thee duly and found thee free from all deceit. So, Andrea, God has his purposes for your season of loss and sorrow and even aimlessness. Trust him in it. Wait patiently for the Lord. He will come. Psalm 23 says he he will restore your soul. Right now, your soul feels numb, maybe even dead, unresponsive. But that's why you must wait. God promises, I will restore. 
And the word is cause to return your soul. It's as if the soul is languishing, it's numb, it's dead. I will restore your soul. Second, I would say, think much about the preciousness of Christ alongside of the preciousness of your husband. When your memory calls up sweet and wonderful experiences with your husband, let the power of those affections intensify your love for Christ. Because Ephesians 5 says that your marriage had that aim in the first place. Marriage is meant to be a portrayal, a drama, of Christ's love for the church and the church's commitment to Christ. It was meant to help us feel the wonder and pleasure of what a relationship with Christ is like. So, as your memory brings to your mind and to your heart how much you and your husband loved each other and how committed you were to each other, translate those affections, or you could use the musical analogy of transpose those affections into another key so that the husband love is translated into, transposed into the music of Christ love. Say something like this to your husband. I miss you so much. You were very, very precious to me. There is a huge hole in my life where you were. So Jesus I know you are even more precious than that. If I did not have you, Jesus, I would miss my very life. There would be a great, unfillable hole in my soul. But I do have you, Jesus, and you are my true husband. I pray that you would help me feel for you and more the intensity of what I feel for the man I have lost. Something like that. I think the reason God gives us so much pleasure in our spouse is to give us a taste of the pleasure that there is in belonging to Jesus. And so it follows that the pain we feel with the loss of our spouse can be another intensification of what it means to belong to Christ. And then third, I would say, pray Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And the reason I say this is because we should always honestly reckon with the possibility that our love for our spouse could be a disordered love, meaning it might be encroaching on our love for Jesus. Jesus said, whoever loves family members more than me is not worthy of me. So we should regularly go before the Lord and ask him to reveal our hearts. Lord, Is there anything, is there anyone 
who is competing with you for my supreme affections. Because if that happens, it will almost certainly make the loss of that person more disabling than it ought to be. And then finally, number four, while you're waiting for the Lord to restore your joy and purposefulness, ask him to reveal what he aims to teach you in this season, that you could learn from him and from the Christian life in no other way. And the reason I say that is because of Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71. They're amazing. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Or verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In other words, don't waste your sorrow, Andrea. Don't waste the season of loss. God has gifts for you and through you for others. Ask him what they are and then take hold of them. Perhaps write them in a journal and then let him use you in the lives of others. He will set your feet on a rock. He will put a new song in your mouth. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Thank you, Pastor John, and thank you for the very honest question, Andrea, and for bringing us into your life like this. And uh, if you want to ask Pastor John a question of your own, type it out, email it to us at askpastorjohn at desiringgod.org. That's our email address, askpastorjohn at desiringgod.org. Well, a lot of youth ministries focus on topical messages about life application. That's their main focus. But one youth pastor has been wondering if a better way forward is to preach expositional messages through whole books of the Bible. Next time, Pastor John will share three key considerations for how to use youth meetings to build students into a deeper understanding of their Bibles and to set them up for a deeper encounter with God. I'm your host, Tony Reinke. We'll see you on Monday.